the word of our Lord from John's first epistle. O little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Let's pray. O God, whose blessed Son came into the world, that He might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves just as He is pure, so that when He comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like Him in His eternal and glorious kingdom, where He lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Most of us have either taught our children to pray, or when we were children, we were taught to pray a an often memorized prayer, a blessing. For when we gather around a table that's spread with food, a, an offering of grace, an offering of thanksgiving, and we begin that prayer with, God is great, God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. In the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at this idea of God is great and God is good. And in doing so, we're going to look at various reasons to give thanks for His greatness and His goodness. November is a month that we typically associate with Thanksgiving. That would be proper because toward the end of, of November, we celebrate the great holiday of Thanksgiving, where we give thanks to God for all that He has provided for us, for all of His many blessings, all of the ways He has met our needs, and all of the ways that He has abundantly met our needs. I love this time of year for a number of reasons. I love that it's about to start getting dark really early in the evening. I like that it's hopefully going to start cooling down at some point. Uh, I love the, the, the changing of the leaves, the, the beautiful oranges and reds and bright yellows that we find in the trees. I love particularly in the afternoon when the sun is, is, is shining through the trees as you're slowly passing down a road. I love seeing all the beautiful colors that are glowing. 
But one of the reasons that I love this time of year is because Rick knows Christmas is not far around the corner. In fact, he, um, I think he texted me not too long ago and mentioned something about uh, Advent being uh, soon to come. I love the season of Advent as we prepare for Christmas. And what's interesting about the month of November is for these next three weeks, we'll be ending out the church's year. We'll be ending out the liturgical calendar of the church. These are the last three Sundays before we begin a new year, looking to the hope of Christ's coming. What a way to end the year. What a way to end it. With thankful hearts and with words of thanksgiving. Over the last few days, just a a few days ago actually, David and I were in the middle of a conversation and he referred to the uh, the quote from Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman in the 1800s, who said, America is great because she is good. And if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. That ought to resonate in our, in our minds, and, and that ought to remind us of what we declare in that prayer of gratitude Amen. over a blessing. God is great. God is good. We declare the greatness of God because we recognize the goodness of God. We say that He's great because He's good. And we say this not just because of the good things that He does for us, not because, oh, He blesses me, therefore He's good. No, we know He's good because of His blessing. And we say that He is good because of the very nature of who He is. It is in His character to be good. He is the author of all good. James the Apostle said, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of turning. His character is good. Therefore, He does good. And we recognize His character as good because of the good that he does because of his faithfulness we know he is a god who is faithful he's always been faithful because of his blessing we know that he is the god who is able to bless and who wants to bless to end the year with gratitude is to end the year somewhere that ought to be basic to who we are. It ought to be fundamental to our nature. It ought to be fundamental to our behaviors to be thankful. We ought naturally to be thankful, but unfortunately, this isn't always the case. We sometimes become like spoiled brats who forget all of the many blessings that we have, who forget all of the great ways in which we are a blessed people. And so we periodically need reminders. We periodically need to be reminded that we are blessed. That we have countless reasons to give thanks. And so in preparation for Thanksgiving, 
I want to use these next three sermons to draw our attention back to three very basic causes of thanksgiving. Let's begin with God's love. John tells us that we know love because God loves us. We know what love is because God has shown us what love is. We know how to love because God has loved us. In fact, he declares that he himself, in his very nature, is love. Love is of God because God is love. We speak an awful lot about love. We refer to loving innumerable things, innumerable objects, and innumerable people. We speak of loving in different ways. We have a very dumbed down approach to love in many ways in our culture. And so it does us good when we speak of God as being love and we talk about the great love that He has for us and we talk about how that love ought to be returned and shared, it would do us good to be reminded of what love is. Simply put, love is to care for someone else so much that you want the very best that is possible for them and are willing to work and sacrifice for that very best in their behalf. Simply put, love is value. You value those things you love. And out of that value, because you value, you want to build even further value into them. We could use this idea, uh, this, this explanation of what love is for the love that we have for one another, the love that we have uh, for our parents, the love that we have for a spouse, the love that we have for a cat or a dog, the love that we have for a car, the love that we have for a hot dog. I love hot dogs. And because of that, I want those hot dogs to be the very best hot dogs they can be. And I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to grill them myself if that's what it takes. To love is to care for another. To care for the object of love. And to bestow that care upon that object wanting the very best that is possible for the recipient of that love and being willing to work and sacrifice for that very best in their behalf. The Everly brothers told us that love hurts, love scars, love wounds and mars. When you hear that line, you probably remember the voice of the band, the Scottish rock band Nazareth. They're the ones that most popularized that song, Love Hurts. But love does indeed hurt. It does scar. It does wound. And sometimes it mars. Because love gives of itself for the beloved. 
As an act of love, God sent his son into the world to redeem the world. God acted because God loved. God loved the world, therefore he did love for the world. Love is always active. It is always working. It is always moving. It is always giving. As an act of love, the Son laid down His life for our sakes. With the children, they very rightly connected the love that God has for us to His Son Jesus. They're great theologians. Sometimes better than we are. We know what love is, John says, because He gave His Son in our behalf. In the passage from John 3 that David read just earlier, that passage that we have so ingrained in our memories that we sometimes too quickly gloss over it or brush past it, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His Son not to condemn the world, but to give the world life, to give the world hope, To give the world love. As an act of love, the Holy Spirit draws us as the objects of God's love into the loving fellowship, into the the warm embrace of the triune God. John says, Behold, take a look. Consider this. Think about this. We used to have a um, we used to have a, a youth pastor at the the, the AIM Church in Kosciuszko, Williamsville Independent Methodist Church. Dwayne Neighbors. Lindsay and I have a neighbor across the street named Dwayne, and so we jokingly refer to him as Dwayne, our neighbor, and we always are then reminded of Dwayne Neighbors, the youth pastor. But he used to, at camp, he would holler out when, when the pastor would make a, or when the, the minister would make a, uh, a pointed remark or something that really needed to be paid attention to. He'd, he'd shout out, listen to him, young people. That's, in a sense, what John is saying. Behold, take a look, listen to this, consider it. No, he would say, think about it, young people, not listen to him. Think about it, young people. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us or lavished on us. The idea that we should be called children of God. Think about it. God has made us to be His children. He has invited us in. He has welcomed us at His table. He has said to us, come on in, make yourself at home. Not as just some guest, not as some temporary servant, but as His very children. The early scribes in the first few centuries of the church, when transcribing this passage so that they would have multiple copies of John's epistle. One of them along the way wrote 
a note, kind of a commentary out into the margin. When it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. That scribe wrote out to the side, and that is what we are. He doesn't just consider us to be His children. He doesn't just call us His children. He makes us His children. He signs His own name onto the adoption papers. He says, you are mine. My family welcomes you. You are a part of my family. Of my fellowship. Come and make yourself at home, O child. We refer to John as the Apostle of Love, which is interesting because Mark in his gospel tells us that Jesus referred to John and his brother James as something other than the apostles of love. He, Jesus had a nickname for James and John. Boanerges. Which means sons of thunder. Sounds almost like a, a wrestling tag team. Sons of thunder. These were two bold, headstrong men. These were men that when a village refused the gospel of the kingdom of God, they asked Jesus, would you like for us to pray fire down on this village? This son of thunder becomes the apostle of love. This son of vengeful wrath, this son of retaliation, this son of power and rejection becomes the apostle of love. Something changed John's heart. Something changed his mind. Something changed his perspective. He gives us a hint of what it was in his gospel. For the, mid, the first several chapters of the gospel, John ceases to or, or does not use a phrase that he will later use in his gospel. On Maundy Thursday, as John is recording the events of that last night that he and the others spent with Jesus before the cross. John begins to refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You see, John began to notice that he himself was the object of Jesus' great love. Some things began to make sense in his mind. 
and some ideas and some actions, some reactions began to be called into question and reordered. The disciple whom Jesus loved, how could that one become anything other than the apostle of love? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. How lavishly He has loved us. That He makes us His children. That He welcomes us into His fellowship. God is great. And God is good because of the great love that He has for us. Because of the way that He lavishly pours His love out on us. We are the objects of His affection. And so... How ought we respond? John tells us in his epistle that we love because God first loved us. And so obviously our response ought to be love. To return his love. To love him back. But what does that look like? John gives us some clues about what that looks like. Here in these few verses. What I'd like to do is I'd actually like to start with the last thing that he mentions. Because that's the tough one. And I would rather get that out of the way first. Sometimes you need the bad news before you get the good news. It gives you a point of reference. And so where he ends up is by saying essentially, get the sin out of your life. How ought we respond? Well, we ought to purify ourselves just as He is pure. We ought to rid ourselves of those things that contaminate us and those things that contaminate our love. After all, we've got to make room for the good stuff. So get rid of that which is toxic. Sin is always toxic. Get rid of that which contaminates Sin always contaminates. Get rid of that which is destructive. Sin always destroys. And before we begin thinking about the the biggie sins, you know, the, well, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't robbed a bank. We ought to be mindful that there are some sins that we consider small sins. Some sins that we often even forget about or we brush aside. There are those sins of commission, those things that we do which we ought not do. And there are also sins of omission, things that we ought to do that we neglect to do. We don't want to do that, Lord. We don't want to go there. That's uncomfortable. I don't have time for that, Lord.
in just a few moments as we prepare ourselves to gather around the table of Christ and share in Holy Communion. During the liturgy before it, we will be praying, Lord, there are things that we have done that we ought not to have done. And there are things that we have failed to do that we ought to have done. When's the time to deal with sin? Now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not when it's more convenient. Not when it's more fitting. But now. John says, Everyone who has this hope of Christ purifies himself just as Christ is pure. So we ought to respond to the great love that God has for us. An act of thanksgiving, a response of love to God ought to be that we get our lives in order, that we get the sin out of our life, that we lay it all out before Him and say, Lord, big or small, this will destroy me. And I need it out. But there is good news. That good news is that we have the opportunity also to respond to this great love with which the Father has loved us by resting in Him. He begins this passage, this beautiful, beautiful passage, O little children, abide in Him. We hear that word abide and we think abode. We think formality. We think we don't know what we think. It simply means to rest in Him. To find one's home in Him. To make ourselves at home. Resting in Him brings confidence and peace. It's hard to sleep when you're not confident. It's hard to fall asleep when you've got worries and anxieties and when you're thinking about all the things that are wrong or all the things that could go wrong. Though that, that sort of thinking does lead to sleepless nights. We toss and we turn and we think about what, what we need to do, what could be done. Sometimes we wring our hands and worry about what we can't do, what we can't do yet. The one who is sleeping is the one who's found some measure of confidence to be able to simply release and find rest. It's sometimes hard to rest in God because we think of all the things that we need to do. We think of all of the things that we ought to do. We think, and here I am talking about how we ought to respond. But, you know, that moment of dozing off to sleep is kind of a, 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 a tricky moment. I remember how tricky it was when I was a kid trying to fall asleep on Christmas Eve. In fact, I remember one, one Christmas Eve very vividly in my mind. I could not go to sleep. And it's, it was probably like 2 or 3 in the morning. And I'm just lying in my bed and I'm crying. I'm kind of quietly crying. I wasn't wailing, trying to wake anybody else up. I thought I was just... just 
wallowing in my own misery and nobody even knew about it. And eventually I heard my door creak and my dad came in. What's wrong, son? I can't go to sleep. This is terrible. You're falling asleep, especially when there's something in you that's trying to keep from that sleep. It's a difficult thing to do. But God welcomes us with open arms and says, come and rest in me. Quit your fighting. Quit your struggling. Quit your grasping. And just rest. Resting in Him is not passive, inactive, do-nothing laziness. Resting in Him is about finding peace in His love. Finding peace in His warm embrace. And John says, Oh, little children, would you rest in Him? Abide in Him. You'll be confident. You'll have nothing to be ashamed of. Rest in Him. Relax and allow Him to embrace you with His great love. You know, to, in order to receive another person's love, we've got to let go of the struggle, let go of the resistance. And because God is so great and He is so good, He loves us passionately and unwaveringly. And He wants us to rest in that love so that we might receive it. But love that is given by one and returned by another falls short of a love that could then be shared beyond those two. And so we ought to respond also by sharing His love with others. John tells us that if we know that Christ is righteous, we know also that Everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him, is born of Christ. Righteousness in the Hebrew mind, and John was a Hebrew, Jesus was a Hebrew. In the Hebrew mind, righteousness is about rightly ordered relationships. It's not some abstract, stale, concrete position apart that one has in himself apart from others. Righteousness is all about one's relationship to others. And so when he says that we have confidence and know that Christ is righteous, 
And therefore, everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. He's talking about how we relate to others. He's talking about how we share the love of Christ with others. And John says, it's vulnerable. It's crazy. Anyone who lives for the sake of someone else is just missing out on his own fun. But John says if we recognize ourselves as the objects of God's great love, we ought to rightly then love others. We ought to share that love with others. We ought to relate rightly with other people. This is what thanksgiving ought to look like. This is what responding to God's great love in our lives ought to look like. This is ultimately how it is that we become joyful people in Christ. To allow Him to deal with the sin of our hearts. To allow Him to deal with that sin so that He can fill us with His goodness. To rest in Him. To enjoy His embrace. To receive His love. So that we might then share it with others. I think the greatest thanksgiving we can give to God. Is to pass His blessings Onto others is to confidently rest in Him and share His love with someone else. God is great and God is good, and we have much for which to give thanks, and He invites us to a thanksgiving table, a thanksgiving meal, Eucharist, give thanks. He welcomes us in as His children. He tells us to come. There's a seat for you at the table. Rest. Find nourishment for your soul. Let's address the sin before we come. And let's rest in Him. And let's share His love with the world. Let's pray.